And if you're new or visiting with us, uh, we pray that you feel uh, welcomed and loved and encouraged, even those of you uh, sitting in the lobby back there. You're still a part of us, even if it doesn't feel like it. Uh, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful day. Hey, are you ready for spring? Are you excited that spring's here? Man, I love spring. I love everything about spring. I love I love March Madness, but we're going to get to that later. But there's a lot of things that I love about spring, mostly new life, the signs of new life that are all around us. I don't know if anybody, you've been kind of laying in the bed in the morning, and you kind of listen out your window, and you kind of hear the birds chirping. It's just like, oh, yes, new life is on the way. And not just in the world around us, but we know that new life is on the way for us as followers of Jesus. Today, we are kicking off a brand new sermon series called The Main Event. The main event. And it's, no, it's not about the big game or the boxing match or something like that. The main event is this week. It's Palm Sunday. It's Monday, Thursday. It's Good Friday. And then on Sunday, it's Easter. This is Holy Week, the final week of Jesus' life leading up to his death and resurrection. And for a lot of the world, for a lot of the people around you going into this next week, this is another ordinary week to be stressed, to be busy, to run around and not pay attention to what's going on in the bigger story of what's happening around you. But you know there's something different. We know that this week changed everything. A lot's going to happen before next Sunday. Needless to say, this week is a big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, neighbor, it's a pretty big deal. Just tell him it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal right now. Absolutely. So maybe you're here today, and uh, depending on your church background, you're not quite sure what Palm Sunday is all about, and if, if that's you, that's okay. You're not alone. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I hung out in the church all the time, and we observed all these things in the church calendar, and you would think I knew exactly what Palm Sunday was all about, and I absolutely had no clue. Here's what I knew about Palm Sunday growing up as a kid. It means that, um, again, hope's growing, so for some reason we can't afford a big palm, so you have a mini palm, uh, but that's okay. Palms up. Um, so uh, what, we would have these big palm branches, and I was like eight or nine years old, and I was in the junior choir at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Story City, Iowa. And Palm Sunday was a big deal because it was the Sunday where the junior choir got to march down the middle aisle of the church. It was a fairly traditional church. We had wooden pews and an organ. Everybody ro wore robes, including us, good little church boys. Because the pastor's kid never does anything wrong. Unless your last name is Annenson. So I'm walking down the middle of the aisle, and I look forward to Palm Sunday every year because you'd think, oh, the pastor's kid, he's going to just be well, really well-behaved and in his robe, and he'll just be you know, praising God and waving his palm branch like everybody else should. Oh, no, 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 no. Palm Sunday meant the opportunity for the greatest sword fight of the year in church. Okay, so me and my buddies are walking down, and as the opening hymn is playing, right, and we're walking past all these adults that are just glaring at us, we're going, bam, smack, you know, hitting them upside the head, whacking them on the back, like, this is what Palm Sunday is all about, right? You know, and we're just going crazy, and we're walking by, and there's people like, right? These kids, these unruly kids, they have no idea what's going on. And I look back on that now, knowing what my current profession is uh, right now, and I have to imagine... God, in all his knowledge and wisdom, is looking down going, awesome, really good, John, really, really, just awesome, thinking, Annenson, what are we going to do with you? I know, I'll make you a pastor. Ha! <laughs> and here we are today, happy Palm Sunday, everyone. 
And some of you, maybe that's your idea of Palm Sunday. You don't really know exactly the significance of today. And no matter what your palm looks like today, it's way more than a sword fight in church. I don't know if we fully understand the significance of what that palm that you're holding means today. And that's what we're going to discover today is there's way more to this story than just religion, a religious tradition, or something we do every year, or, or a little palm branch. It means a lot more. There's a weight and a significance to that palm branch that you hold today. And that's what we're going to figure out. So if you have your Bibles, if you're not there yet, turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. This story is actually in all the Gospels. It's just told a little different way. And so this year we're going to look at it from Matthew's perspective. So Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to start right away there at verse 1. So when we arrive on the scene... The city of Jerusalem is already being flooded with thousands of Jews for the celebration of Passover. So everybody's in town, and it's kind of like the Super Bowl, or it's like a parade for the World Series when a team wins the World Series, and it is just crazy. There, there is so many people, this Passover celebration as the Jews are celebrating their exile out of Egypt. They do this every single year. And so instead of flags and confetti, what happens is that people start ripping these palm branches down off of the trees. They probably checked with the city department first before they did that. And uh, they're ripping palm branches down, and they're laying them, laying them down on the road, and some of them are even taking the shirt off their own back or their cloaks, and they're laying them down because a king is coming. And they start yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. So we're going to shorten that a little bit. Instead of just talking about it, we're actually going to do it. So I'm going to split you right down the middle. So you can decide which team you're on, okay? I'm going to split you right here. This is team number one, and this is team number two. So let me hear it from team number one. Clearly, you need to read the story again. Let me hear it from team number two. Team number one. All right, so you are the crowd and Palm Sunday in Jerusalem that day. So grab your palm branch. It's under your chair if you haven't grabbed it already. You're going to need that, all right? So team number one over here, you're going to be the Hosanna. And team number two over here, you're going to be the blessed is the king. So let's practice that just really quick. Team number one, what are you going to yell? Hosanna. What are you guys going to yell? Blessed is the king. All right, cool. So sit like nice, proper church people because you all are well-behaved, okay? And just hold your palm branch down, and when it's your time, when I point to your team, you, are go you don't have to stand up. I get it. I, got I just got comfortable here. I want you to wave that palm branch nice and high and yell out at the top of the lungs your line. Now watch, because pay attention. I might reverse it on you, all right? So here we are. It's Palm Sunday here at Hope Des Moines, and the shouts of the people are... Let's do Hosanna all together. One, two, three. Hosanna. Awesome. I wish you could see up. I need to like take a selfie or something right here. That is, a really, that is a really cool image. Awesome. So you can hang on to that if you want and let that be a reminder as we go through this service. So Hosanna, Hosanna literally meaning save us. Well, that's a little odd. That doesn't sound very celebratory, does it? I mean, that save us, that, that would actually mean that we're admitting that there's something that we need saving from. Well, maybe that palm branch means a lot more than you thought. You thought we were just having a big old ticker tape parade here, a party or something. Means save us, which is that's what it meant for the crowd that day as well. 
which is exactly what the Jews were thinking. They had been waiting for hundreds of years. They hadn't heard anything. God had been silent for 400 years, and they'd been waiting for this king. 400 years, and you thought the stoplight was long getting here this morning. They had been waiting for a king to come, and now finally the day is here. So why the royal treatment? Why the palms? You only bring out palms in Jerusalem and in any Roman territory when the Roman king is coming back into Jerusalem and he's just defeated another army because palms were a symbol of victory and peace. So for somebody else besides Caesar or a Roman general to come into town and people yelling, Hosanna, blessed is the king, is heresy. Who would do such a thing? Like this. But for the Jews, this is their king. They had been waiting, a king who would come and rescue their nation back and return Israel to promise and kick out those Romans. A king like, like a great military king, like King David. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm standing there in the parade and I'm sure when the king comes by, he's going to be on a big white horse and he'll have a big sword that's probably dipped in blood and coming back from this great military victory. And he'll say, now's the time and we're going to ride into Jerusalem and we're going to kick out all the Romans and we're going to take our city back and that's the kind of king that we're going to have. And so the, the cry was, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, King Jesus. Can you imagine the murmurs in the crowd? Probably 20, 30, 50 deep people. Can you imagine what it would have been like to finally see the king turn the corner and come into the gates of Jerusalem and, oh wait, he's on a donkey buzzkill, right? What is going on? This isn't, the, this isn't the king that we wanted. And there's a, not tons of people, but a few people's disciples following him. And yet the Jews should not have been taken back. Over 300 years, there was prophecies told about this. You heard it in the reading, but this actually comes from the Old Testament. Jesus is fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy here on Palm Sunday. It's from the book of Zechariah. When's the last time you read Zechariah? Awesome. That's what I thought. All right. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and let's read it together up on the screen. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. So if they knew their scriptures, they would know this is it. No more waiting. This is our king. They got that part. But this is what they missed. With all due respect to their national pride, with all due respect to leaders and presidents and powers and nations that exist in our world today, Jesus was making it very clear by what he said and often by what he didn't say in the Gospels, by his actions, what he did and didn't do, how he didn't fight his sentence of death, although he was innocent, although he didn't call angels down to rescue him from heaven and just wipe out all the scoffers and all the, the mockers while he was hanging on the cross. All the times in this entire story when Jesus could have said, that's it. I have the power to take everybody out. I could take the Roman Empire and go, Psh, squash, done, over with. He could have done that. He had the power to do it. Of all the arguments that he could have made, of all the defending of himself that he could have done, he, he could have crushed his enemies, but he didn't do it. Why? Because of you. That's why Palm Sunday matters. He didn't do any of that because his mission was far 
bigger. In fact, when he was on trial after having been beaten almost to the point of death, with the crown of thorns shoved on his head just five days later, he looks Pilate, one of the ruling authorities of the day, and he looks him right in the eyes. And he says, you don't get it. Because my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. It will never be. Because if it was, you would know. Jesus says you would know. If it was, I would be fighting you and you would be losing. Sometimes we lose track of the power of Jesus because we think, oh, that's cute. He came in on a little donkey and I'm sure there was kids running up and giggling. How cute. Yeah, of course, Jesus loved kids, but man, it was way more than that. Don't lose track of the power that we have. Jesus said if it was about fighting a war, I would be winning. If it was about building wealth and power on this earth, you'd know. In fact, I'm the king of kings. Jesus says, which means my primary mission is not your little agenda of me saving you from the Romans. It's not, my mission is not aligning with one particular political agenda or, or social issue or, or another, even though you want it to be. Jesus says it's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than saving you from Rome. It's saving you from sin and death. That's an enemy far bigger than Rome. This is way more than a religious symbol or a toy. It's a declaration of dependence. Of saying, we need a savior. We, we need saving from ourselves. And has anything really changed? <laughs> we still need saving from ourselves today, which means for the crowd that day, what they expected and then what they got were totally different. Their expectations were shattered. And here's the thing. We can really understand this story well today because as Iowans, we definitely know something about getting our expectations shattered, all right? <laughs> Folks, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had three teams from the state of Iowa in the NCAA tournament. Like, this never happens, Right? This never happens, right? And certainly some of you, if you're like me, had expectations. Oh, okay, of course, out of the three, we'll get like one into the sweet 16, right? And then some of you, like me, made the bonehead mistake of putting Iowa State in the final four in your bracket. See what happens when you put your hope in the Cyclones, right? <laughs> they make a terrible god. They're, they're an idol. Just, just don't do it, right? So that's what I did. And then... The team I put my hope and trust in Iowa State goes out and loses to some South Alabama, Birmingham, Tech, State Department of the Interior, or something like that. I don't know what their name was. Totally not what we expected. You don't lose to teams like that. It's really hard to admit. Do you want to know who is in dead last place in the Lutheran Church of Hope staff bracket pool? This guy, right? I'm not bitter at all. It's this guy. I watch more college basketball than any of you. I guarantee it. I watch way too much college basketball, right? I lost to Tiffany one year, and I picked the expert picks, and she picked it based on their mascots. <laughs> and she beat me. We have certain expectations, and they just get blown out of the water, right? This is not how it should be. We've got expectations of our teams, and we've got expectations of Jesus as well, especially on Palm Sunday. We're not that different than the crowd waving the branches. If you look a little bit deeper into the story, what we're going to find is that there's three different responses 
that people have to Jesus. We all got our expectations blown. There's three different ways that we can respond to Jesus. And as you look through the gospel, there's almost three different groups of people that respond to Jesus as king. So if you think about it, if we put Jesus here in the middle, represented by the cross, every single one of us has circles of people in our lives. There's people that are close to us, there's people that are a little farther away, and there's more just people that we know about. So we have acquaintances, we have close friends, we have best friends, whatever you want to call them. So there's people that are really, really close to us, there's people that are a little bit farther out, and then there's people that are way out here. We just sort of know of them. So you have that in your own life, but also that's what Jesus had as well. And you see it in the story. Now as we talk through this, I, it's important to know, I want you to understand what I'm not saying is, oh, these people are better than these people and these are better than these. This isn't climbing the ladder to be a better Christian. I'm simply saying there's different points that all of us are at on our Christian journey. You came here today, and you're somewhere there in relationship to Jesus. Some of you just know for a fact, I'm way out here. I feel really far away. I feel really disconnected. And that's okay. You're in the right place. But for some of you, you feel closer. You feel more connected to Jesus as well. But this isn't a way of judging people. It's just kind of saying, where are you at on your journey? So first of all, the first group of people that I want to point out for you, and maybe you'll identify with this and, and see where you're at on here, Jesus had what we're going to call fans. Everybody say fans. Jesus had lots of fans, thousands of them. Look back at the story. Look at Matthew 21. Look at verse 10. This, stories are just hilarious if you dig into them a little bit. So check this out. Verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Okay? When I hear the word uproar, I think of like pandemonium, right? People are stoked. They're going crazy, right? They were in an uproar as he entered. And then the next line is, who is this? They asked. Verse 11, the crowds replied, it's Jesus, uh, the prophet guy from Nazareth in Galilee, right? So imagine this. You've got a whole crowd of people going crazy about somebody that they really don't know who he is, right? You can imagine going, woo! Jesus! Wow, this is awesome! Who is this guy? What are we all yelling about, right? But that's the way that hype is. It just gets built up, right? That's what fans do. Who is this guy again? Oh, he's that um, uh, Jesus guy. He's that prophet from, from Galilee, and he's been doing some miracles and things like that. And, and we have a term for these kind of people that just jump on board with whatever the exciting or the latest fad is at the time, and they're called bandwagon fans, right? When something is popular, when something is hopping, they're there. They're not where the action is. They're just kind of standing there at a distance. But when the action dies down, they're nowhere to be found. This happens all the time in sports. We know this, right? It's easy to be a fan when everything is going well, but sooner or later, you start getting some flack, if you've ever been a bandwagon fan, you start getting some flack from the real fans and saying, oh, you're just hopping on now just because they're doing good, right? They want to know, are you a real fan? And I know that we, do we have any Cubs fans out there? Okay, awesome. We know who loves Jesus now, all right? So they, they go hand in hand. 
I, I think this is the year. I know we say that every year, Cubs fans, right? We've been saying that for the last hundred years, right? But imagine this is the year, and everybody else has given up on the Cubs, but we hung tight, right? We're the real fans. We're not jumping on the Giants bandwagon or something like that. We're real fans. Imagine that the Cubs go to the World Series this year. How many fans do you think they're going to have? A lot more, right? A lot more than they do now, right? And the real Cubs fans are going to say, where have you been for the last hundred years when they've stunk? Stop hanging out out here and just hanging around when everything is good. Essentially what they're saying is, is your heart really in this? Or are you just here for the action and the crowd? And Jesus had plenty of fans. But I'll tell you that the crowd at the foot of the cross a week later was a lot less. In fact, hardly any. This group of fans left. Or they flip-flopped and they said, instead of Hosanna, they said, kill him. Crucify him. Jesus had a lot of fans, and if we're honest, maybe this is where some of you are at today. Some of you are hanging out at a distance, and you're saying, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not turning on Jesus. I don't hate Jesus. I'm not going to flip-flop like that. It's often more subtle than that. In fact, rarely do I run into somebody that says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. We live in a culture, I don't know if you've noticed that, and even here in Des Moines, I don't meet very many people that are anti-Jesus. They're anti the church. But they're not anti-Jesus. They're interested in him, just like the crowd was that day. Very rarely do I meet somebody that doesn't admire Jesus, but you can admire Jesus from a distance. You can keep a safe distance, and it usually ends there. I'm just going to keep my distance. I, I don't know, I'm thinking about this, but analogy I, I can think of is like, this is where the action is. If this is a giant swimming pool, if you're a fan of Jesus, you just kind of like to hang outside the gate at the swimming pool and just kind of admire and just kind of look in and go, man, I really love swimming, but I think I'll just kind of hang out here. That would be absurd, right? And never actually go into the swimming pool. You're missing the point. You want to get to where the action is. I'm just going to cheer from out here. And we do the same thing with Jesus. Some of you are there. That's where you're at in your journey. And because to take it with further with Jesus, just kind of start moving towards him, well, that means i got to follow this guy wherever he's going. I mean, John, I'm a fan of Jesus, but I'm also a fan of a lot of other things. So my, my focus is not here. I mean, it is on Sunday mornings. But my focus is over here and over here and over here. I've got a lot of other interests. There's sports and there's hobbies and there's shuttling the kids around and there's my job and all those things are well and good and important. And you're saying, I've got many, many things. Jesus says, I want to be the one thing in your life. I didn't come in Holy Week, I didn't go through all of this so that you could stay at a distance and admire me and think, well, Jesus was a good guy with some good advice and I'll just factor that in with all the other advice that I get. No, I don't want you to stay at a distance. Jesus says, I want to be your one thing. Fads come and go. Parades by nature is what Palm Sunday was. Parades come and go. But this was a different kind of of parade. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. 
And as we move closer, that's what a lot of people had decided to do. And that's we, we get the next group around Jesus. By the time we get to Palm Sunday, he developed quite a following. He had lots of followers, not just the 12 disciples. We kind of miss that in the gospel sometimes. There's a couple hundred people that would say, I am a disciple of Jesus. And they are following him. And they're lining the streets. They are followers. Everybody say followers. 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 And you might think, oh, that's really good, and absolutely it is. And they had watched him teach and perform many miracles. And so for some of them, if they ever doubted that it was worth it, it doesn't get any better than Palm Sunday because now this guy that you've hopped on his bandwagon, everybody else is jumping in on, and you're sitting there in the crowd going, I told you so. I told you he's the king, right? Oh, yeah, we're going all the way. We're going all the way to the throne, and we're going to kick out the Romans, and he's going to put on a giant crown, and it's going to be great. And then his crown is made of thorns shoved into his forehead. Oh, oh, that's, that's not why I was following you, Jesus. I was following you because you were making me happy. Oh, wait, maybe that wasn't the point. Maybe that wasn't the point. Unfortunately, for a majority of Jesus' followers, and for us, if you're living in that area today, our agenda is a little bit more hidden, but it's just as dangerous. Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll do this whole church thing. I'll do this whole Christianity thing. As long as it's somewhat safe. As long as it's somewhat comfortable. And I hate to break it to you this morning, but if you read the Gospels, it's really impossible to understand that following Jesus, that his primary motivation for your life is to make you comfortable. In fact, many times it's the exact opposite. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. Oh, I'll follow you, Jesus, as long as you keep things fun and exciting and doing miracles and being really, really popular. But Jesus, if you start pushing me a little bit, if you start challenging me, if you start saying crazy things like deny yourself or all your money and all your possessions, they're not really yours, they're God's, so I think that you should radically be generous and give away your money to people that are in need. He starts saying radical things like don't give up meeting together, make worship a weekly priority, stop living in isolation and find a small group of Christians to do life with. If you start pushing me that direction and you start making radical claims of my life, I'm out. Things were going really good, but even for followers, I'm out. And if we're honest, many of ourselves, many of us find ourselves right here. You want to be close to Jesus. You want to have that relationship with him. You're following him. You're doing the church thing. But you just don't want to commit fully. You don't want to take that next step. And if we're honest, going back to the, uh, going back to the swimming pool analogy, so now we're not standing outside the fence. Those of you that are followers, you've actually gone in the swimming pool because you know that's where the action is. But you'd think that would be it, and you're at the pool every day, but you never made it further than the gutter. If this is the life and the abundant life that Jesus had, some of you are kind of going, whoa. Um, whew, this is way more safe. This is way more comfortable. Because I can do my own thing. I can call my own shots. I can control my own schedule. Jesus is going to have to tell me what to do. Oh, maybe I should. No, no, I'm not, Right? You're standing in the gutter or you're standing right on the edge of the high dive. And Jesus says, jump. 
It's so worth it. And we don't want to do that. Maybe you can identify with our friend, Mr. Bean, who has a hard time committing and taking that next step and taking that leap of faith. Let's take a look. Sometimes it's forced upon you, right? You don't get to watch videos like that on Palm Sunday everywhere, right? Some of you have been in that spot when it comes to your faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you have been on the high dive, on the edge, your entire Christian life. And you'll say, I'll go this far with you, Jesus. I'll go this far. And, and you're, you know, he's doing all sorts of poses and everything. Some of us are posing, too. It's really, really easy to be a full-time church member and a part-time disciple. Standing on the edge of the high dive. I think about when I was a little boy, when I finally got to the gutter, I had my floaties on. Everybody remember floaties? And I'm standing right, I'm standing right on the edge. I believe it. I know it's important. I know I can do it, but I just don't want to commit and so I didn't even go to the high dive. I, I was on the gutter. And there's my dad right in front of me saying, come on, Jonathan, you can do it. You have nothing to be afraid of. Just jump. And I think about how much time I wasted just shuffling around in the gutter and splashing the water and thinking, well, maybe this is it. This is what swimming is all about. Come on, Jonathan, you can do it. No, no, I'm good. I'm just good here in the gutter because this is what I'm used to. I'm just good here on the edge of the diving board. In other words, I think all the fun is right here, but no, there's so much more. For some of you, you've been standing in the gutter of Christianity and you've never gone all the way in. And many didn't, even in Jesus' day. Over and over, Jesus challenges and it says, and many who followed him turned back. And we say things like, oh, I'm just going to pop in here to worship from time to time, or I'm just going to do my religious thing a little bit more privately. You know, I've, I've got a few friends here in church, and I'll just kind of hang out in that outer circle. You know what's better than friends? Family. Family. And it's what you were created for. That's the offer of Jesus, is right here, to be family. Everybody say Family. How do we know that that's where Jesus wants us today? Five days after Palm Sunday, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he looks down at John, his beloved disciple, and he looks down at Mary, his mother. And if you're in your last dying breaths, you're probably saying something pretty important about where I want to be in relationship to you. And Jesus says, Dear son, behold your mother. Dear mother, behold your son. In other words, when I leave and when I ascend into heaven, live like family. You are now family. My followers are family. The church is family. This is who you're called to be. Live like it's true. I don't know if you can read the book of Acts and not see the characteristics of a family. These people in the early church actually lived like family. They're looking at what Jesus said and saying, what if we actually lived like this was true? One of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite seminary professors, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but he was fond of saying, I don't know how anyone could read the life of the early church 
and conclude that church is a place where you go to hear sermons. Instead, it's very obvious that church is a people to whom you commit to serve. That's what being a member is all about. We're going to do this new member class in a couple weeks. And it's really for those of you that are, well, this is it. No, it's not. There's so much more. And if you've never experienced following Jesus and being a part of a church as family, you're missing out. Family says, I'm here for the long haul and I'm committed to serving you. Not just to get my needs met, but to meet the needs of others. I don't know how you can read the New Testament and not see that. We talk about this in our core class all the time, that healthy families care for each other, they're connecting regularly, they all contribute, they have something to offer. And then the fourth C in the acronym is multiply. Some of you will get that on the way home. Care, connect, contribute, and multiply. I came up with that myself. <laughs> Healthy families are reproducing. They're multiplying. Are you experiencing that? It's really hard to be family when you give somebody a high five once a week. Is that what you think Jesus' offer is? I'll never forget the first time that I had the courage to get up on the high dive at the pool of Story City and do a cannonball off the high dive. So I jumped off the gutter, but I'm like, no, there's way more than this. So I go up on the high dive, and you know a cannonball, right? You tuck both of your, I'm not going to do it for you right now. I'd rip my pants or something, which I did. I did a cannonball, and all I remember is that I ripped the side of my swimming trunks, and I had this giant red welt on my rear. And I didn't care because I got out of the pool and I said, that was it. That's what I've been waiting for. I could have stood outside the pool. I could have stayed in the gutter. But I jumped in and I experienced it. And I hope that's why you're here. I hope you're here to experience the Jesus that we see on Palm Sunday and to be family, to take that leap. And that's when we find the joy, and that's when we find the relationships, and that's when we find our purpose. And that's when we start living in a way that many years from now, you'll be able to tell stories about. It's what it means to be family. I got to experience that this past week, strangely. Never thought this would work into a Palm Sunday sermon, but I was hanging out with a family planning their dad's funeral. And I, I never thought this would connect, but it's just amazing how God brings these things to mind. I'm meeting with this family ahead of time to, to plan the funeral. I'm meeting this guy, 65 years old, just suddenly collapsed. Man, life is hard. Life is messy, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, my dad's almost 65. And so I'm meeting with this family, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to just be painful, and this is going to be rough. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of tears. So I'm meeting with his wife of 41 years and his three grown daughters, who all have kids, and this was their grandpa, granddaddy. And so there's plenty of tears and pain, but then, you know, we're all crying, and the mood kind of shifts because I just say, tell me some stories about your dad. What, what do you remember about your dad? Tell me some stories about being family. And for the next hour, I didn't say a word. 
because they were just laughing and giggling and telling stories, and then they would, they would cry for a little bit. They were tears of joy, and then more laughter, and then more crying, and story after story. Remember when Dad fell off the lawnmower, and then he mowed over his glasses? And remember when we were on family vacation, and we ran out of gas in the middle of nowhere? And remember when we were all in the pontoon boat, and it got a leak, and we all started sinking together? Remember all? Over and over and over again, there was so much joy because their dad had placed his faith in Jesus Christ and they were living like family. This is why it matters. This is why Palm Sunday matters. This is why this week matters because many years from now, those of us that didn't stay here and those of us that didn't stay here, but those of us that went all in are gonna be sitting around with our old gray beards and our walkers and shuffling around and doing whatever we do here at Hope Des Moines. And we're going to be telling stories about these days. Hey, remember remember those days when people thought we weren't a real church because we had to unload all of our chairs from a trailer and then one Sunday it got frozen shut and we almost didn't have church? And remember when we found that old car dealership? Remember when we all pitched in and built this beautiful church together in a car dealership? Remember, Remember when we turned our sanctuary into a macaroni plant? Man, that was awesome, dude. Because we're all from California or something. I don't know. And like, wow, this was awesome. And we're telling these stories because we were living like family. Or maybe, maybe you'll tell a story as, remember, remember Easter of 2015 when I finally took that leap of faith? Remember Easter of 2015 when I finally invited someone? And God rocked their world and he changed their life. Because I got out of my bubble and I got out of my safety net and I got out of my comfort zone and I finally decided to invite somebody for Easter. And maybe most importantly, you might say, remember 2015? That's when Jesus rocked my world. Remember 2015? That's when Jesus came alive in me for the very first time because I surrendered it all and I went in, all in with Jesus and this crazy, imperfect family called Hope Des Moines. Because I didn't stay a fan of Jesus. I didn't just follow when things were easy. I said, these are the people who I'm committing. This is who I'm going to serve with. Because we let Jesus be our king. Hosanna. Save us, King Jesus. It's way more than a palm branch. It's an invitation to know the King.